everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. My name is Kelly Owens. I'm Pastor John's wife, and I have the privilege of introducing um, our guest speaker today. So uh, for those of you who know, we are part of a, uh, organ- a local organization called Multiply Indiana, which is like a partnership of churches that, well, basically a heart churches coming together to resource other church plants across the state. And so Hope City is one of our partner churches in that, and they're across town in Carmel. So we did a little pastor swap this morning. So John is preaching there, and we have the privilege of having Micah Davis with us. Um, His parents, Justin and Tricia, some of you have been to Hope City with us. We had a good Friday service there. We've done a lot with them. So uh, Pastor Justin and Tricia helped, uh, they planted that church. Micah has helped plant that church with them, and he is actually a student. He's a collegiate basketball player, a student currently with a call to full-time ministry, and a newlywed, and he's preaching about his beautiful wife is with us. I'll let him tell more about his family and stuff, but um, he's preaching on love, and he's been married like a day, so... It's gonna, we're going to get a good perspective on that. Um, so yes, if you guys... Well, I'll tell you this, Micah. If you want to be invited back, you're going to have to beat me in one-on-one after the service. (laughs) Or maybe I'll get Julie with me and one of the Houston boys, and we'll do two-on-two, right? Um, So yes, uh, Micah is a basketball player. He's got a lot going on, um, and he's going to share with us this morning. So will you all welcome Micah Davis with me? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, City of Lights. How are we doing this morning? Good. Good. Anyone else just feel like running through a brick wall after worship this morning? So good. I'm just like jacked. I'm like ready to go. Uh, I know Trisha already talked about this, but you know, I like getting a little bit of a lay of the room uh, when I speak. So I want to talk about the weather. Uh, Has anyone enjoyed the fact that it's felt like summer at the end of September? Anyone? All right. A few people, a few people. Anyone excited for fall? Yes. All right. You guys are my people. I'm excited for fall. Fall is my favorite season. I'm pumped. I can't wait for, you know, like long sleeve plaid shirts and jeans and bonfires and, you know, football's on. So fall is here. Anyone excited for winter? Come on. Yeah. Raise it loud and proud. Let me see. All right. These people need Jesus. All right. Pray for them. I'm just kidding. You're loved. All right. You're accepted here. Anyways, uh, it's truly an honor to be here this morning. I'm so grateful for your pastors for having me here. You guys have some of the best pastors. You guys know that? In fact, can we just give a round of applause for your pastors, for Pastor John and for Pastor Kelly? Yes, they are amazing. And uh, it's just such an honor to be entrusted to be able to speak here uh, to you guys this morning. I just know how much they love each of you, how much they love this church, how much they love this city. City of Lights is just doing great things in the city of Indianapolis, and it's just been so fun uh, to see the journey that you guys are on. While I'm on the topic of your pastors, I have to confess, I have a little bit of social media jealousy uh, towards Pastor John. I regret every day not claiming the Twitter handle Juanyo, all right? (laughs) I think that's like the coolest name ever, and let me tell you why. It has nothing to do with my name, and, and, and you know, but I'm like a quarter Latino, and I claim every percentage point I can get, all right? So I know it's not a lot, but I want to be authentic, right? And I just feel like having the Twitter handle, Juanyo, would push me to like 35%, all right? 
But, but yeah, you know, Pastor John has it. That's fine. The originality, the uniqueness of it. It's a great name. Uh, follow him if you don't, all right? Church, that's your pastor, all right? You better be following your pastor. If you're nervous about what he's going to see on your Twitter timeline, that is the Holy Spirit convicting you right there, all right? Just kidding. Anyways, uh, as Kelly said, my, my name is Micah Davis, and uh, if you don't know me, it's a pleasure to meet you. Um, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Riley, and, uh, who, who's sitting here in the front row, and we went to school right up the road in Marion, Indiana, at Indiana Wesleyan uh, University. Yeah, shout out IWU, right? And um, that's where we met, and by the grace of God, fell in love, and I somehow convinced her to marry me. And, and this is how you know you found an amazing woman. Not only did I convince her to marry me, but I then convinced her, upon getting married, to move five hours away from her hometown, the beautiful uh, city of Grand Rapids, Michigan, to this tiny little town in the middle of a cornfield called Lincoln, Illinois. I know, what was she thinking, right? Uh, you know, I remember when we got engaged and, and everyone's excited and, you know, we had a ton of people over to my house to celebrate and there's tons of energy in the air and, you know, the future is at our fingertips and the future's looking so bright. And I remember sitting down with Riley and, you know, emotions were high during this conversation. We had just gotten engaged, but, but I remember her looking deep into my eyes and just saying, you know, babe, I just want you to know I'll follow you anywhere. And part of me was like, yes, like, that's good to know. But part of me was like, eh. You're going to regret that, you know. We're moving to the country, right? Not really, not really. But, but we, uh, we, yeah, we moved to Lincoln a week after getting married, and uh, I'm finishing my undergrad there, and I'm playing basketball. And, and uh, Riley actually got a job on campus, which has been a super huge blessing. We get to see each other every day, and, and that's been awesome. So, yeah, so we're there. You know, we're living our best lives, just enjoying our new community, and we love it. It's, it's, uh, it's awesome. And so that's a little bit about me and my family. And uh, again, we're so ecstatic to be here today. And I'm pumped to be sharing with you this word that I feel God has placed on my heart. If you have a Bible, I'd love if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is where we're going to be today. If you don't have a Bible, don't sweat it. Uh, the scripture will be up on the screen. But, but 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is where we're going to be. And I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 8. Okay? So if you're there, read with me. It says this. It says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and I even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for just this word uh, that you've given us this morning. I thank you for the fact that we could gather corporately and that we could worship your name freely. God, we don't take that, that for granted. Um, I just thank you for your spirit being in this place. And God, I pray that your spirit continues to descend upon this room this morning as we learn about your word and learn about your truth. I pray that your truth is evident and that it comes through clearly. I pray for each and every person who's in this room. I pray for their stories, their backgrounds, and their futures, God. 
I just pray that you be with them, that you allow them to take something away from today's message that ultimately transforms their life forever moving forward. And God, that's what this is about. This is, that's what this is about. It's about becoming more righteous. It's about becoming more like you. And so I pray that today we can grow a little bit in the right direction. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, when Pastor John asked me to speak here this weekend, I was thrilled. Uh, I was, truly. You see, I've grown up a pastor's kid. I've spent my whole life in the church. Uh, I've actually spent the last three years in various internships and volunteer roles uh, around different churches. I've been able to speak at numerous churches over the last couple of years, all in an attempt to cultivate the calling I feel God has placed on my life, which is to preach this book to anyone and everyone who will listen. And uh, so I love getting opportunities to speak, especially as a full-time college student. It's difficult to be able to do that. Um, so, so I'm really thankful to be here. Last week, Pastor John kicked off this series that we're in by talking about how the standard of truth that we'd be discussing would be based upon God's word. That, that, that God's word holds more weight than any of our opinions. And I think that's such an important baseline, such an important precedent to, to establish when discussing what truth is. Because we now have this foundation of truth upon which we can draw truth from. So when I asked Pastor John what I'd be speaking about this week, he said, you'll be delivering week two of the series that we're in called, as my generation would pronounce it, Keeping It 100, right? I said, dope, I dig it, sign me up. What am I talking about? What truth are we dissecting? Like, let's talk. He said, you'll be dissecting the truth about love. And I was like, love? Did he just say love? You want me to talk about the truth about love? Now, of course, I didn't say this to him, okay, but I was thinking it. What I said was, yes, sir, I'm an expert in that field. You can count on me. And now I'm here this morning, all right? He has no idea. Not really. But, man, I was thinking, I was thinking, love. He wants me to speak on the truth about love. Now, I mentioned my sweet wife, Riley, earlier, and I love this girl with all my heart, and she's the most amazing person on the planet. I'm head over heels in love with her. And these last three months, tomorrow, happy three months, babe, Three months of marriage have made me an expert in love, right? I mean, who is more qualified to speak about love than a newlywed? We know everything. I'm kidding, obviously. But as I started to think about it, you know, I realized I've had a full-on crash course into what true love really is over these last couple of months. You know, we read this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, and we talk about what love is, and we say, love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy, boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. We read that on our wedding day, and we say, perfect. That's easy. I got that. I'm going to live that out every day because I love this girl, Right? But what really happens is we get married and we realize we've made a lifelong commitment to exercising this passage every day for the rest of our married lives. And boy, is that tough. But, but it's not just marriage, is it? It, it? Marriage didn't reveal new ways of how unloving I am. It simply put me in a greater proximity of another person to expose the ugliness of my heart. It was always there. So, so if you're not married, don't check out because this, this message about love, it's not a marriage message, okay? This is an everybody message. This is a message that I think everyone could use a refresher on the truth about love. And, and that's what I want to do today. I want to talk about the truth about love, the truth about love. In order to understand the truth about love, we probably need to understand what love is in the first place, right? 
Well, well, depending on where you look, you can find what love is in a lot of different places. You could look to entertainment, right? Whether it be movies or music or television, and you'll get an answer of what love is. Or, or maybe you're reading a book and you get lost in the book and, you know, there's a relationship in the book and you're like, you know what, that's what true love is. Or maybe you're sitting with friends around the dinner table and you're discussing what love is and you think, yeah, that might be what love is. If you look in the dictionary, you'll see the word love is defined as an intense feeling of deep affection. That sort of makes sense, right? An intense feeling of deep affection sounds a lot like something we'd call love. But, but I have a problem with this definition because I feel like it only speaks to the surface of what love really is. You see, in the Bible, we're introduced to this idea of agape love. Agape love. Everybody say agape love. Agape. Yeah, it's got a nice ring to it, right? And agape is a Greek word which is found periodically written throughout original translations of the New Testament. It's this term that identifies God's immeasurable, incomparable love for all of us. It's ongoing. It's ever-present. It's this unconditional love. And so when we're talking about the truth about love today, you have to keep in mind that we're not talking about this superficial, dramatic, movie-style kind of love, all right? This isn't the notebook love, all right? This isn't the Titanic, all right? No, this isn't cuddle up in bed and ball your eyes out with ice cream, all right? No, this love that is in Scripture, as you'll soon see, is rooted firmly in, in, the, in the character of God and in the narrative of his story. And so today I want to present to you three truths that I've come to discover as I've been, as I've been studying this concept of love and what I think it means and, and how it applies to our lives. You see, I believe these three truths are foundational to establishing the right type of relationship with our Father. It's an understanding that these three truths that we come to grasp the significance of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So are you guys with me? I know that was a little bit of a long introduction, but I feel like it's important to set that all up. Is everyone good? Ready to dive in? All right, sweet. Let's do it. So truth number one. Truth number one about the truth about love is God is love. The truth about love is that God is love. 1 John 4, 8 says, But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You know, when we think about love, we typically go straight to how we feel, right? You meet a cute girl or guy and you start dating and then what? You fall in love with them. Or you get a brand new puppy and, oh my gosh, it's so cute and you're posting selfies with it all over Instagram and you love it, right? Or you get the newest toy or gadget or $1,500 iPhone XS, which if you have one of those, show me in the lobby afterwards. <laughs> and you love it, Right? At that moment, those things make you feel good. You get a rush, a surge of immense emotion for whatever you love. But that's not true love, is it? That kind of love is fleeting. It's not love. It's infatuation. As soon as the next best thing comes out, we move on. Love, true love is different than that. And a hard truth about true love is that love does not equal happiness 100% of the time. Some of you need to hear that this morning. True love does not equal happiness 100% of the time. I know a newlywed saying happiness does not equal love. What is wrong with me? But, but it's true. Love is not dependent on feelings. In fact, true love is completely independent of how we feel in a present moment. That's what makes love, love, this kind of love, this agape love that we've introduced is active. It's demonstrated through our actions, not our emotions. 
And I put this in your notes, but, but true love loves when love doesn't seem like a viable option. True love loves when love doesn't seem like a viable option. And that's where this verse that we were introduced to in 1 Corinthians comes into play. And I know many of you have read this verse, and you've seen it on posters, and you've seen it on coffee mugs, and you've seen it on t-shirts, and everyone likes to post it in their Instagram bio, and it's everywhere. But, but this verse speaks so beautifully into what love, true love, really is. So, so let's unpack it. It says this. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. You're going to notice a theme as we read through these, all right? Pay attention carefully to these. It says, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Do you see the actions taking place? Do you see the decisions being made? It doesn't say love feels patient and kind, does it? It doesn't say love isn't jealous or boastful or proud when it feels like it. Love never gives up on its good days. No, love never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. That's love and that's God because God is love. His love isn't tied to conditions, feelings, or circumstances. His love was born out of his very nature, out of his very being and existence. That's just who he is. God is love. So we've established this important foundation that God is love. Let's move into truth number two, which is that love, true love, has no boundaries. True love has no boundaries. Many of you probably didn't know this before Pastor Kelly said it, but yes, my, my parents are actually local pastors in the Indy area. Pastor John is there speaking this morning. And uh, so yeah, we kind of did a little bit of a flip-flop, uh, except instead of my mom or dad coming to speak here, they sent me, all right? So uh, my, my parents are actually in Cincinnati this weekend, and so it was kind of like a lineage decision, I guess. Like, we just do it Bible style, so mom and dad can't show up, so it's like, next in line, firstborn, who is he? And that's how I got here. I'm just kidding. That's not how it happens. But, you know, when I was 10 years old, I saw this truth of love having no boundaries played out by one of my favorite people on this planet who happens to be my mother. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I've grown up in the church and I've been a pastor's kid since I was born. And, and, and I mean, I was one of those kids who, who loved being a pastor's kid. All right. There's, there's kind of two kinds of pastor's kids. There's the, the PKs, the pastor's kids, the PKs who, who hate being a PK, and then there's the kids, the pastor's kids who love being a PK, all right? And I loved being a PK, all right? I remember walking in every Sunday, you know, I'd have my chest out, my head held high. I'm saying what's up to everyone. Everyone's saying what's up to me because I know everyone and everyone knows me because everyone knows the pastor. Since I'm the pastor's kid, just by default, I know everybody, right? And so as an eight-year-old, I thought I was a celebrity. And I, I loved it. I loved being a pastor's kid. And now you know why pastor's kids go off the deep end, all right? It's, it's pride, people, all right? I'm in counseling over it, still working through it. But I loved being a pastor's kid. But one seemingly ordinary Sunday, my identity as a pastor's kid was ripped right out from under me. You see, it was this particular Sunday that my dad came home from preaching, and 
he sat my mom down and he proceeded to tell her that he wanted nothing to do with her, that, that he was having an affair on her with her best friend and that he was leaving my mom for her. And I mean, we were crushed. We were stunned. We were heartbroken. We were hopeless. Now, I was furious. I wanted nothing to do with my father. And at the time, I thought I was justified in feeling that way. He had wrecked me and my brother's life. He had broken my mom's heart. And as a 10-year-old boy, I decided, you know what? It's time for me to assume the man of the house role, at least as much as I could as a 10-year-old boy. But I grew up a lot overnight. My, my world was vastly different. My heart began to seriously harden. Over the next few months, my dad came to the end of himself. He, he hit rock bottom. He reached a point of genuine brokenness. But I still wasn't ready to forgive him. And, and I think I speak, I, I speak for the majority of people at that time who were, who were not ready to forgive him. But my mom, in a way that only she could, took that silver lining of genuine brokenness and saw it as hope for restoration of their marriage. And, and sure, it was hard. I mean, there were plenty of teary-filled nights, hopeless days, confusing weeks. But still, my mom led us in strength towards restoration. She recognized that love had no boundaries, that even though the person closest to her had hurt her in the worst way possible, love could endure through any and every circumstance. While the world saw infidelity as this unpassable boundary, my mom's love for my dad broke right through that. It was an incredible display of grace and forgiveness. Now, I understand that's an extreme example, but, but it hits home, doesn't it? I mean, I look at my mom, and my wife and I have even talked about this. You know, as newlyweds, like, we struggle with wondering if we would be able to have the strength and love to forgive through something like that. But when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he calls you to do exactly that. He calls you to love the sinners and the saints and everyone in between. He calls you to love the marginalized and the outcasts and the forgotten. He calls you to love your neighbor, the person to the right or to the left of you as yourself. He calls you to love the person who's hurt you the most. He calls you to love your enemies. He calls you to love without reservations because love has no boundaries. And we see this countless times throughout scripture as, as Jesus leans down and there's a woman who's been caught in adultery laying bare in the street and I just picture it, Jesus looking at her as people are surrounding her about to stone her to death and Jesus locks eyes with this lady and he says, not me, I love you, I forgive you, you are loved. And as these people are ready to throw stones at her, I see Jesus just comforting her saying none of these people have the right to cast a stone upon you, right? Or I think about the Samaritan woman, number one enemy to the Jews, looked down upon by society because of her gender. Jesus should have had nothing to do with this person. At a well, Jesus lovingly calls out this lady's checkered past, but still offers her the gift of entering into a relationship with him. Why, Jesus? Why? How, how could you do that? It's because his love has no boundaries. It's because God is love. His love has no boundaries for anyone. And as his followers, he calls us to do the same. 
Now, I think it's important to note that, that this doesn't excuse sinful behavior, and it certainly doesn't and shouldn't prevent consequences from taking place. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, when people hurt you, as was the case with my dad, I mean, there were plenty of days that I'm sure my mom did not like my dad, okay? I'm sure I'd even go as far to say there were days where my mom wanted nothing to do with my dad. Restoration was an extremely difficult process, and it didn't happen overnight. And I'm so thankful for my, for my parents' story. I'm so thankful for my, for my family's story. In fact, it's, it's that story that has led thousands of marriages over the last 10 years to be restored as well. My, my parents are in Cincinnati this weekend sharing their story at a marriage conference. It's been incredible to see what God has done through their marriage. But, but the further away that event becomes in my family's life, the more people just assume that restoration just took place that it just happened overnight, that it wasn't this hard, excruciating, difficult process, that there weren't days that I woke up wondering, is this the day that she finally files? Is this the day that I don't have a dad? Is this the day where my parents aren't together in the same house? Restoration was extremely difficult, but my mom's example showed my brothers and I that we could love my dad at his worst and display a love that could only be found in Jesus. Which brings me to my final point, which is truth number three. And, and truth number three about the truth about love is going to surprise you, but, but the truth about love is that, is that God loves you. God loves you. I know the grand finale of truth, and I throw this at you. You're sitting there thinking, Dumb, Micah, I'm a Christian. I know God loves me. All right, Judah said it during worship. Sometimes we sing, Jesus loves me. This I know. I get it, all right? This kind of truth is the kind of truth that the street saints love to throw out to people. You know what I'm talking about? The people who will go up to any random person in the street, they'll find them, they'll lay the holy hand on their shoulder, they'll look straight into their eyes, and they'll say, God loves you. And that's it. They just walk away, all right? No other context, all right? And that's a whole other sermon that I'm not going to get into. But, but this truth has gotten a bad reputation over the years, and I believe it's been watered down with shallowness. But, but I want to flip the script this morning. I, I want to push back on you. Do you really know how much God loves you? Have you really grasped that fundamental truth? I mean, if we're here this morning and we're all being genuinely honest, how many of us would say, we know how much God loves us? I'll admit it. I'll be the first one to say, I have struggled with this in my own walk with Christ. When's the last time you sat down and read John 3.16? Now, Googling Tim Tebow's face does not count, all right? If you don't know what that means, just Google Tim Tebow's face, John 3.16, all right? You'll see. When's the last time that you've sat down and soaked in John 3.16? If this is your first time at church this morning, I just want to say we're, we're so glad that you're here. You're in a place where you're welcomed, where you can belong before you believe. But, but this verse, John 3.16, it kind of serves as the verse for those of us who call ourselves Christians. That, that if you could summarize the gospel into one sentence, it would be this verse. So, so this is a very popular verse, and it's one that I, I believe often gets overlooked because of how popular it is. But, but read this with me, John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. God so loved the world, the world, that's us. He so loved the world that he gave up his only son to die for us. If you're a parent, think of your child. If you're married, think of your spouse. If you're single, think of your mother, brother, father, sister. Think of the one person you love most in this world. And then imagine giving that person up to die for the prostitute laying bare in the street. Imagine giving that person up to die for the murderer on death row. Imagine giving that person up to die for you or for me. I don't deserve that. None of us deserve that. And so often I think we forget that God's love came with it an extremely high cost, the highest cost he could have paid at the expense of his own son. We say God loves us. We sing Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But do we realize how much he loves us? Do we believe the truth of that statement that he sacrificed his only son, that if we chose to believe in him, that we could spend eternity in paradise with him? That's love. That's agape love in its most perfect state. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But he gave it freely, without cost to us. No penalties, no repayments, no loops, no no hoops, no loopholes. When Jesus hung on that cross and said, it is finished, and then conquered death, that was it. Our eternity purchased, bought, paid for, redeemed, by the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you truly taken that into consideration? The fact that Jesus hung on that cross for you. That's the gospel. Because here's the reality, church. Your capacity to love will only be as big as your capacity to receive love. Your capacity to love other people will only be as big as your capacity to receive love from our Heavenly Father. If you don't believe within your heart that Jesus Christ died for you and that he loves you, how are you in turn supposed to go out and love others, much less your enemies? That kind of strength and capacity can only be born out of a deep soul-level conviction that you are loved, that you are chosen and set apart, and that your life has been redeemed by the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, Riley and I were driving up to her parents' house, which is about a five-hour drive from our humble abode in Lincoln, Illinois. And, um, you know, at this point I knew that I was speaking here, and so I'd kind of written up some message notes, and Riley graciously was allowing me to preach my my three key points to her in the car. And, you know, i got to be honest, I I was getting a little irritated because she kept telling me to put my hands down. All right, and as you can tell, when I'm speaking, you know, I get a little animated, I get a little into it. But I was, I was frustrated because I felt like I was being suppressed. But I guess it's a fair, you know, ask when someone's driving 70 miles an hour on the interstate. <laughs> it's fine, I'm over it, all right. But, but I was, you know, preaching these, these three points to her. And, and to be honest, I was ready to close it. I was ready to give you your three truths, send you on your way, send you to your Sunday lunches, and just call it a day. And to be honest, I wanted to. At this point in my ministry career, that's my comfort zone. At this point, I can take a piece of scripture, I can pull some truth out of it, and I can deliver it. 
But I think what some of my heroes in the faith, what some of the best communicators I know, something Pastor John does something so, does so well, is that they don't just deliver the truth, but they tell you why the truth matters. And, and that's exactly what Riley said to me as I finished talking to her about this. She said, you know, Micah, those truths are great, and they are true, but why does love matter? What's the point? And outside of wanting to blow up on her and say, why does love matter? It's love, duh. I realized she, she had a point because that's exactly how I wanted to respond. And I think if we're all being honest this morning, that's how a lot of us would respond. Why does love matter? Because it's love. But do we really know why love matters? You know the truth about love, but, wh but why does it matter? So as I wrestled with this, I, I came to one conclusion. All right, don't worry, we're not going to get into three reasons why love matters now, all right? I just got one conclusion. And it's simply this. Love matters simply because it is the basis and foundation upon which our faith is built upon. That if this definition of love was not and is not lived out by God, then the basis for our faith is diminished. It would make no sense to live out this concept of love. And ironically, when I was thinking about it and looking for scriptural evidence on it, I came right back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Read what 1 Corinthians 13, 2 says. It says this, it says, If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I moved mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. I could have it all, but if I don't have love, I have nothing. I am nothing. I don't think Paul was mincing words when discussing the importance of love. Skip down to 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and you find this. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Three things will last forever, as in faith, hope, and love will always be the basis of God's connection to humanity whether here on this earth or in eternity. But love, love is what pulls it all together. You see, understanding the truth about love matters because it is the singular, most significant factor into understanding the connection between you and God. You see, God created you in his image out of love. He gave us free will out of love. He sent his son to die for us out of love. It was his love that unleashed the ability for us to truly experience love and freely give love. It's this agape love that is the driving force behind everything God does. God extends his love to us, which we are to in turn extend to other people. It's love that pushes us to share the good news across the world. It's love that urges us to follow Jesus' example and serve one another. It's love that tells us to go against the culture wave and run in our own lane. It's love. Love matters because love isn't going anywhere. It's infinite. It will remain forever. This world simply offers us an opportunity to extend a glimpse of that love to people who don't know that love. And it might surprise you, but there are people in this world, there are people in this state, in this city, in this room, who do not know the love of God. God has given us the opportunity to be able to extend that love to them. 
What a precious gift that is. That's why love matters. It's everything to us. So this week, as you, as you go into your work fields or, or your classrooms or as you resume your everyday lives, I, I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to think about how much God loves you. Think about why love matters. I know it seems simple, but in order to discover the truth about love, in order to accept that God is love, in order to love others as ourselves, and in order to be loved by God, it starts with us believing and accepting that he in fact does love us. Because God is love. His love has no boundaries. And he loves you so much that he sent his one and only begotten son to die the death that you deserved for you so that you could spend eternity in paradise with him. That's love. That's the truth about love in its most perfect state. That's agape love. God sent his son Jesus to die for us that we might spend eternity with him. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this word about love that you have given us. I thank you for the fact that you sent your one and only son to purchase our eternity. That he lived the life that we couldn't, that he died the death that we deserve so that we might be able to spend eternity with him. God, I thank you for what you're teaching us about love. I pray this truth about love isn't just something that we take away from today and forget about. God, I pray that this is soul convicting. I pray that this truth goes deep into our hearts, that this truth changes everything for us. That for those of us who haven't heard about this truth, that this would be the wake-up call to accepting this truth. For those of us who have been walking with Jesus for months, for years, for decades, I pray today would be a wake-up call of how much you love us. That the truth about love is that it's not about us. It's about you. And it's about how you call us to love other people sacrificially as a servant, just as you came. I pray all these things in your name. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and